PMD signed before I went back to the three-a-days. And then in the three-a-days, we used because we used to have to be inside by 9 o'clock and sleep in football camp. So we used to be out there in Connecticut standing out in front of the dorms listening to my song, Come on the Radio. And then after it would come on the radio, because we just had enough reception to get it from Connecticut, yo, we bug out, and then I'll just go in there, go to sleep, wake up, go to practice. Here it comes! Here it comes! You're listening to Fresh Era, a podcast where we tell you the stories of the legends from the golden era of hip-hop. Each episode, we bring you stories from the pioneers themselves as we dive deeper into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. I'm your host, Craig Smith. There are a few artists whose name is synonymous with hip-hop itself. KRS-One, Nas, Dr. Dre, Big Daddy Kane. You say these names and you immediately hear songs, see album covers, fashion, the impact of their presence. One name that rings far and wide is Eric and Parrish Making Dollars, better known as EPMD. They're the legendary duo that took the industry by storm in the late 80s with their unique beats, chemistry on the mic, and ushering in the era of the hip-hop crew with the Hit Squad. They were influential in many ways. Our Fresh Era logo is even a nod to the iconic EPMD typeface design. So it goes without saying that today's guest is special. We're bringing you the story of Parrish Smith, a.k.a. PMD, with everything that went into becoming a staple in hip-hop and everything that tried to kill the momentum, literally. My name is Parrish Smith. I'm from Brentwood, Bayshore, Long Island. I was born May 13th. 1968. And he was born to a set of parents straight out of Brooklyn. My mother's from Bethesda-Iverson. My father's from Marcy Projects. And Young Parrish was growing up one of many. I have six brothers and sisters. So as you can imagine, there's always something going on. And his parents' music was the soundtrack. There was always music in my home. Like, some people say that, but that's what it really was, starting with my mother and my father. So it was more uh, temptation... Yo, all the OJs, Zap, Roger Troutman. Now, raising six kids is tough. Hell, I'm raising three, and I know that the only thing that really matters is providing the best future for them. And for Parrish's parents, that future wasn't in Brooklyn. The Smith clan packed up and moved to Brentwood, nicknamed the Jewel of Long Island. They seen a lot in Brooklyn, you know, and my father lost a lot of friends in Brooklyn. So he just made a promise that once he got out to himself, once he got out here to Long Island, that, you know, he would install the work ethics in all of us to be able to take care of yourself. And that would take many forms. For Parrish, that would start with sports. The neighborhood we lived in, we had some nice athletic superstars that lived next door, the Dixons. Greg Dixon, Phil Dixon, Kevin Dixon, these were all basketball phenoms in our neighborhood. Greg Dixon was nice with the football. And that influence rubbed off on Parrish. I took the football for some reason at six. And then from there, yo, it was just on. Quarterback and punting. I really thought I was going to the NFL. And these big dreams were just a fact of life. Everybody in his house worked hard. You know what I mean? Everybody took care of themselves. It was always the fast pace. One, two, three jobs. And that's what me, my sister, and the younger two got to see. But then the hip-hop. Hip-hop. The culture which was born in Bronx parks with dancers breaking tradition, graffiti artists making their mark everywhere they could, and DJs learning a technique that would lay the foundation for what would become rap music. This began in the late 70s and made its way all around New York, all the way to the Smith household in Long Island. 
At this point, there wasn't a hip-hop section in the record store. There were merely pockets of opportunities for a preteen to explore this new and exciting world. Back then, even if you would adjust your dial to find hip-hop, you could only land on it late at night for an hour. So you would have to wait the whole week till Friday or Saturday, try to get some reception, because the reception was horrible, but that one hour is where you call all of that hip-hop music. And then after that, you would have to wait another hour for them to come home from the hip-hop. It wasn't even called hip-hop yet, the B-Boys and the B-Girls, and then you just listen to what was going to become hip-hop. And hip-hop started to become a staple in his home. He was learning all about this culture on his own, but over time, he got to see it up close because his family was participating. My older brother and sisters, they started getting into, like, the ultimate breakbeats. My brother always had the turntable, the Cern Vega, the speakers, the equalizer. And even my sister, she was like a real DJ. So they was around Jazzy J and them. DJ Jazzy J. My brother being signed to Tommy Boy Records with Smitty D and the Rock Squad. Really is, they can't get waited. Rock Squad could pump it up, so let's kick it. That's right. Parrish Smith's older brother, Smitty D, had his own hip-hop group, and they had a record deal. Being young, coming out to the block parties, because my parents used to give block parties at the end, you know, when my brother and sister graduated. This is uh, how Zulu and them used to come out before Planet Rock was even released. So I got to see all of this stuff as a teenager, 13, 14, going up to Tommy Boy Records, seeing the four SMDs doing backflips, Busy B battling on the radio, Kumo D and stuff like that. So all that, that started the development of the imagination. It was all, you know, inspirational. He would also piggyback off the inspiration of his siblings. They would go out to the Bronx, soaking up the culture during parties at Ground Zero. What they had at the Bronx River and the T-Connection was at the end of every show, you can cop a cassette of the actual show. My brother and sister always bought the cassette home. So I used to have to wait till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And I will sit in the car and just go to the party without even actually going there. And you've seen all the levels. You see when they dance in, then you see when it gets serious and, you know, seven minutes of funk come on, Chiba Chiba come to the front wherever you are, the DJ, and even the female MCs as well. So it was all intriguing and inspiration. And as time went on, his family started to take their Long Island parties to the Bronx. My brother would bring a U-Haul truck, drive to the Bronx, basically, throw the speakers in there, throw the turntables in there, and we all get in the back of the U-Haul. But I'm 14, it's fun to me. But to my brother and my father, it's a real hustle. You know, they got to rent the U-Haul. They got to communicate with the BX. They got to go out there. They got to drive in the Bronx River. The block party permits and stuff like that. My mother and father worked on that. And then once they got out there, I didn't have to do nothing but watch. So I'd be in the back of the U-Haul like, yo, this is crazy. Like, yo, I can't wait till they plug the speaker in. And what's going to happen? And then they plug it in and the blue light or the red light on the Cervega come on. And next thing you know... Jazzy J's cutting like I heard him in the tape, sitting in the car. Hip-hop had become his fascination. He was willing to do whatever it took to indulge himself in the culture. Stay up all night? No problem. Sit in the studio with his older brother? Done. Ride in a U-Haul truck? Say less. He knew that, and so did his parents. This became apparent around Christmas time. We in Long Island, there's grass, there's trees, lights, big wheels... ColecoVision, we getting every, yo, it's really, Santa Claus came basically, and you know how that went, but you only got compensated in accordance to how well you did in school that year. 
So I was doing good, but yo, my parents uh, basically played a trick. So when you wake up and you look under the tree and you start to look at the gifts, you begin to notice none of your name, your name ain't on none of the gifts. And my sister, who's one year younger than me, she's in there like, yo, they just gave her an hour free in Toys R Us and she could clear the whole thing. So I'm looking and I don't see nothing. She's opening all the presents and then, you know, the ego, macho attitude. So I'm like, yo, whatever, it's just Christmas, it's no big deal. But inside, I'm kind of hurt. So when my sister's finished rapping everything to add insult to injury, parents had me clean up the rapping and everything, make a long story short. My mother sent me downstairs, go get the clothes out of the dryer and bring them upstairs. So I went downstairs and as I walked downstairs, the dryer and the washing machine is this way, but the rest of the floor where my brother's turntables used to be and where he used to get down with his people, Table, turntables, mixers, echo chambers, speakers, total shockage. And up in the ceiling, present stuff in the wall. And Christmas rapping was the first song started cutting. Curtis Blow. Now I'm the guy named Curtis Blow, and Christmas is one thing I know. And now I'm cutting Curtis Blow at 14 with my DJ set. And then look what happens as I get older. So that's how it started for me on the turntables. It was great parenting, great parenting and great ancestral support from grandparents and stuff like that. Knowing that the neighborhood was rough, knowing that I loved the turntables and that I would risk my life to go to the to one of the most serious part of town. And almost immediately after, he started a career as a DJ called DJ Easy P. Rodney C. from Double Trouble used to come out to my home at 13, 14 years old when I first got my DJ set for Christmas and gave me the instrumentals to the soundtrack to Wild Style. That's how my DJ career started at 14. And he was off to the races. I DJed at the high school, at the junior high, any party there was to DJ, the neighborhood, I was out there getting busy. And back there, I got to keep it a stack because coming from where we was coming from, you just utilized all your resources like our parents drilled in our heads and you didn't know if you was going to make it or become something. So you had to have a couple of irons in the fire. Around that same time, he was about to meet someone who would impact his trajectory in ways he could have never imagined. The E in EPMD, Eric Sermon. By the time we got to eighth grade, that's when Eric moved to his grandmother's house behind me. And then I seen him at the bus stop. And then you know when somebody's new, they look out of place, you know, and they knew. So because I was the same way in the class clown and outspoken, not like, just like very comfortable with myself. That's how our relationship started on the bus. So by the time he moved to the neighborhood, eighth grade, you know, things was already in motion. It was already football, it was already turntables, it was already music, you know what I mean? Heading in my life. But you have a new person that doesn't know the neighborhood, don't know where the pizza parlor is, don't have too many friends, so you're not too quick to bounce on them. You know, you make sure they straight. Now, all the pieces of the puzzle were on the table. He's grown accustomed to hard work and dedication. He's seen what you can do with hip-hop firsthand with block parties, radio, record deals, and studio albums. He's got the equipment and the support. Now he's on his way. Where? Maybe he didn't have a clear idea. All he knew was that this hip-hop thing was his vehicle, and he wasn't about to stop. When we come back, Parrish Smith and Eric Sermon create EPMD and get down to business. Strictly business.
This episode is brought to you by Little Giants, Giant Shorties. I've got a few kids living in my house and I can tell you, their energy is something you can't suppress. When it comes to expressing themselves, you've got to let them shine. They are the culture, so why not let them dress like it? Shopping WeAreLittleGiants.com gives you access to plenty of options for styling your little shorty with the same authenticity you reserve for yourself. Find t-shirts, hoodies, shoes, onesies, and much more. Honestly, you'll be jealous they don't have your size. WeAreLittleGiants.com has the designs that speak to the love we've had for hip-hop since we were kids ourselves. You'll be passing along your passion for the culture when you see your little giant rocking this most definitely t-shirt I'm about to cop for my son, or this notorious RBG hoodie for my daughter. Slide through. Literally slide down the spiral slide and land in their flagship store ball pit at 4675 Hollywood Boulevard. Peace. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So it's the mid-80s and Parrish Smith is fully immersed in hip-hop. With massive support from his parents, he became a DJ. In keeping with the trend in his home, he moves swiftly towards making his dreams a reality. In the process, he meets someone who understands and most importantly, can keep up. Eric Sermon. Okay, so you got eighth grade, ninth grade. I got the DJ in, you know. I'm DJing in junior high. Me and Eric's in junior high. So he's at the crib while I'm DJing. Next thing you know, I got the gig. So he's at the gig with me. And this is how it's beginning to start. Okay, so when Eric came in and he was the same age, it allowed me to play football, mess with the music. But he was more, he was, he just moved from the place where my parents didn't want me to go and why they bought the turntables in the first place. So he was right there hands on. And all the people he was around was my brother and sister's friends. So he was catching the super heat right from the place. So once he moved from there, and I had the turntables. They were guaranteed to make some noise, obsessing over hip-hop as much as humanly possible. And though they had packed up and moved to Brooklyn from Brentwood, they were still in good company with hip-hop. You had real MCs. Like, this is like from the Bismarck. And listen to the way you, what I am saying, a different kind of rapper language that I am saying. The divine sounds, what people do for money. Like, this all came through Brentwood that we were seeing straight up. So when E was over there in Regis Park, he was watching a lot of it. Like, I was watching it from Brentwood. And then once he came my way, I was already on the tarmac, already had the turntables, already had the beats and everything. So then it was just the rhyming part. They would also get an assist from his hip-hop role model, who he witnessed creating a good time with block parties and in the studio, his older brother. The block parties one aspect of it. But he was also written out places. Like, he was written out the YMCA. I used to watch this guy do all of this stuff. You know, and now that I'm old and I know what a promoter is, I'm like, yo, this guy was the record label. Like, he was a lot different than me. To be honest, I think he was a much better businessman. And the reason why I say that, because he was zero tolerance, no nonsense. To the point where I couldn't 
even bring none of my friends in this session. That's how EPMD got started, because I couldn't bring nobody in his session or I risk getting kicked out. That's the way those OGs were back there. You know what I mean? You'd be like, yo, can my man come in? And they'd be like, yo, can you, yo, come here. Did you do this? Did you take care of that? Did you call that? And then you know you ain't take care of half of it. Next, you getting escorted out of there and thrown out. And this was a huge risk. You're a kid in New York, obsessed with hip hop, so you become a DJ. And your older brother has a record deal, showing you in real time how to become a hip hop artist. And I'm watching them. They going to the Apollo Theater. They doing auditioning. They're like really doing some real serious work. So sometimes I'll go into Manhattan. I just was around them when they'd have to get their game plan together, when they would go actually go into Tommy Boy Records. Like, my brother's song would come on the radio. Two o'clock in the morning, you running around, jumping up. Yo, it's on the radio. You're jumping in the car, driving to his house, because by then he had his own home and stuff like that. But the whole point was, you seen the hustle of what it actually really took to get on. And he still had to come up with a way to bring his friends along for the journey. Like, how do I go work DJ Easy P? you know, and not leave my man outside or my friends outside for an hour and a half while I'm in here with my brother. So after one session, I just went to my brother and was like, yo, you think I could get the number to the studio? He was requesting the number for Charlie Murata, who owned the studio where his brother recorded. Charlie Murata would become the engineer that recorded most of EPMD's singles. And him not even thinking nothing. I, might, he may, I don't know what he was thinking, but he probably, yeah, he has the number. And once he gave me the number to the studio, then it made it a lot easier because then I could go continue to DJ. And then when I found some time, I called up Charlie Murata, and then that was the birth of EPMD. As soon as EPMD was formed, Parrish was at a pivotal point in his life. He was still a football star in Brentwood, and it was time for him to find a job to fund his ever-costly music career or go to college and play football. The choice was clear. He'd do both. He ended up at Southern Connecticut State University with a football scholarship. SESU, yeah. Well, you know how it go relationship-wise, and you'd be thinking, like, you don't want to go too far, but you're not old enough to know, like, follow your dream. So I tried to stay as close as home and make a compromise, which was Southern Connecticut, two and a half hours away. And this football trajectory wasn't a pipe dream. This was real life. Yo, I was really good in football, like, naturally. Not like no, I didn't know what the bench looked like, none of that. Like, I was up in the game getting busy, because that's what I thought. But the seed for music was already planted when I was a kid. That seed wasn't about to stop growing just because he moved away for school. Now I was moving from Bayshore Brentwood to a whole nother state in Connecticut, and then I would have to communicate. That's when EPMD was E-P-E-E-M-D, before the actual logo. So even two hours away at college, he was still finding a way to keep his connection with Eric Sermon strong. When there was time, I would uh, bring Eric up. And we'd be have fun. I'd bring him to all the parties, introduce him to people and stuff like that. He was away at school on a football scholarship, and he was facilitating a hip-hop career. His time management must have been on point because he would have to drive down from Connecticut to the studio to work with his now longtime engineer, Charlie Murata. And I would have four hours, okay? Two hours for the beats, two hours for the rhyme up in the attic. And this meant he was trying to do it all. He was writing rhymes and recording, but he was also laying the instrumentals with Eric Sermon and Charlie Murata. So I went in there putting the stuff together with the notion that you did your own music because I had no concept of the business or the industry. But that lack of insight made the process more creative. During this time, they were working on what will become their debut album, Strictly Business. Let's look at a song from that album called It's My Thing. I would have an idea like what I want to do. There was no sampling machine. You come with seven minutes of funk. 
you splicing quarter-inch tape or half-inch tape. This is how you got the music. And then you go in the vocal booth, and then you drop your rhymes. MCs out there, you better stand clear. EPMD is a world premiere. From New York, straight talk, America's best. Cold Wild Long Island is where we rest. And then boom. And as Eric and Parrish worked, they developed more chemistry on the mic and in the creative process. You know, like, it's my thing. You notice I start off, you know, MCs out there and this and that, bang, bang. But then if I was laid back on some ZZ tops like you're a customer, then, you know, then E would go. Yo, don't give him nothing but a microphone. Don't stop. I'm not finished yet. You said I'm not the E. You want to make it better? Remember this? Because that's how it was to give and take in the studio. You know, it's, it's where I was mentally when I was putting it together. They started kind of putting out their records in 1987 while Parrish was still enrolled in college and playing football. DJs would spin their records and every bit of their spare time was put into creating and maintaining their buzz. I was my first manager because, you know, I went to work, made my money at Intimates Bakery to go to the studio at Charlie's. And to be honest, I used to go to Eric's school and sign them out illegally. I used to say, yo, I was his cousin. He got a dentist appointment. And I think I was like 18, 19. But, you know, because I played sports and I had a good reputation and all this other stuff in Brentwood, he'd come down and we'd hop in the 6'8". And that's how it really went. They were having fun, but in the summer of 1987, he was running out of time for his dream. I was heading back to school in August. I had football camp in August the three days. So I really didn't have too much time. Time wasn't on my side, okay? So I worked at a place called Intimates Bakery that's in Bayshore, Long Island. And the point of me working there, like any other college student, get your bread up for the year. Take some of the pressure off your parents. That's the way I worked it out with my pops. Like, yo, I got this. The only thing, I made the bread and took the money and flipped it and gave it to Charlie. Again, that's Charlie Murata at the studio. So now we get into the time where on my side, I'm almost going to have to go to college. So I'm on a conveyor belt. And now it's time for the bread to show up. And all I got is the demo. Determined to do whatever it would take to make his hip-hop career happen, he started to approach record labels. This took some creativity because you couldn't just type New York hip-hop record labels into a Google search bar. Unless you knew who these companies were, you wouldn't know where to send cassette tapes or to pop up at an office. So I would write down the name of the record companies from the vinyl in my crate. He would pick up an album like Run DMC's Walk This Way, Def Jam, Houdini's Back in Black, Jive Records. And because Latoya was the hot record at the time with Just Ice, Sleeping Bag was our second stop. He saw that Sleeping Bag Records was putting out hip-hop artists like Just Ice and Stetsasonic under their sub-label, Fresh Records. Will Sokolov, who was running Sleeping Bag at the time in an interview with Red Bull Music Academy, said that he listened to their demo and right there on the spot said, fine, let's do a contract. And Eric and Parrish took the deal. This was the jump-off point for everything that was to follow. Just over the horizon, there were world tours, gold albums, and a legacy that would span decades. As you can imagine, that didn't come without a lot of struggle. In the case of EPMD, at a certain point, shit got real and threatened to demolish the legacy that we see today. We'll be right back. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. 
Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. When we left... Parrish Smith and Eric Sermon had formed EPMD, recorded a demo, and secured a record contract with Sleeping Bag Records sub-label, Fresh Records. They already had a few songs that would make the album, but they were still working to complete the LP, which would be called Strictly Business. One of the singles was a bouncing, bass-driven summertime hit called You Gots the Chill. The chill, the chill, the chill. I'm the P-double-E-M-D-E-E, and one thing I hate is a bite in the sea. When I enter the party, suckers always form a line, then they ease the way up Try to bite my lungs. And while this was being created, their song It's My Thing was being released. But while he and Eric were seeing the beginning of a new venture into music, there was still his other life. He was still a student athlete at Southern Connecticut State University on a football scholarship. EPMD signed before I went back to the three-a-days. And then in the three-a-days, we used because we used to have to be inside by 9 o'clock and sleep in football camp. So we used to be out there in Connecticut, standing out in front of the dorms, listening to my song, Come on the Radio. And then after it would come on the radio, because we just had enough reception to get it from Connecticut, yo, we bug out, and then I'll just go in there, go to sleep, wake up, go to practice. But this train was moving, and it was only the beginning of their momentum. This was evident in the exposure and in the opportunities. Opportunities that came from unlikely places. Southern gave us our first show. So once It's My Thing and Your Customer came out, we performed at Hickerson Hall in the, in the basement and had a nice turnout because they promoted it through the library. You understand? And then, boom, Eric just came up from New York. So as much as it was football and education, I had my turntables up there. So I was also DJing. There was always music around me. And over the course of that year, the buzz only grew. They performed shows in Connecticut and in New York, even rubbing shoulders with other future cultural icons. Seinfeld. He was he open for us. Socks are a very impressive thing. A lot of people underestimate socks. <laughs> this is a great crowd. And I remember because now it went from an idea that I had at home from trying to get the group signed before I actually went to school to now I'm in school with the 68 Camaro that I actually built and drove. And now I'm driving from college to shows. And back in college, we became the story. You know, when I went back to school, it was different now. Because I was telling them, like, yo, listen, yo, this is going to happen. And it was like, nah, man, grab your books, take it behind the class. EPMD's debut album, Strictly Business, was released on June 7th, 1988, and people loved it. I don't mean they just loved it in the streets. EPMD was on fire. The album peaked at number one on the top R&B hip-hop albums chart and went gold within the first four months. The album was well-received in the UK. All Music gave it five stars, and The Source magazine gave it five mics, which is as coveted as it could get for hip-hop reviews. 
All of this, and he hadn't dropped out of college. Okay, but I didn't do that until I actually had the gold number one album and got invited on the Runs House tour. I had to walk across the turf to speak to my coach, Coach Kavanaugh, who put all of this time and energy into me, you know? Like, I think I got this music. I think I can make this happen. So I think, you know, you're going to need somebody for that position next year. With that, he left school, his football career, and dove straight into full-time music. He had released a gold album with his best friend and gotten his first big win. Then I go to the Runs House tour. Who's They had just booked their first tour, and it was a big one. Run DMC, EPMD, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, and Public Enemy. They were fortunate enough to get on the tour. And even better, they got to ride in the same bus with Run DMC and Jam Master J. But that came with some conditions. They were still young and restless, and the Run DMC guys weren't that interested in their antics. Meaning when we act up on the Run's bus, we ended up on the P.E.'s bus. P.E., Public Enemy, made up of Chuck D, Flavor Flav, and at the time, Terminator X. So sometimes when you go into these cities and these big-time dudes will lose the vibe with their girl, and we would have to leave the city early, long story short. And when you're on a tour and you're invited on the tour and Run DMC just did a two- or three-hour set, now that's just super huge adjustments. And then once it calms down, what happened now? Blah, blah, blah. The new guys. And then you get the meeting. Yo, listen, you guys are acting up. You're going to ride on the public enemy tour bus. And one of your guys got to go home. We don't care which one. So now you go from the Run DMC bus to the public enemy bus. The hard drama. They strictly business, doing push-ups, working out, kicking the ceiling and stuff like that. And then next thing you know, you end back up on the Run DMC bus and you're moving. But the whole point was we had the leadership. And when we got out of line, we had people put us back in line so we can learn and move forward and become the group that we became. So over the next year, they reap the benefits of rock star status and hit the studio again. This time, they come back with their sophomore album, Unfinished Business. For the single, they sample BT Express's If It Don't Turn You On. They put their vocals to it and created So What You're Saying. Some call me Pete, another slow flower. Brothers on my jock, for the way I hold a piece of steel. So what you saying? The album Unfinished Business did just about as well as anyone could have imagined, again receiving rave reviews, number one on the hip-hop charts, and gold status. They made history for a second time, only a year after releasing their debut album. So we just came in at, at rock star status and really just had to observe. You know what I mean? Like, we just so benefited being around Run DMC and being around the management of Rush. That Def Jam connection was providential in many ways. It taught them how to be professional, what to aim for, and came in handy as they dealt with what happened next. No one saw how volatile the relationship between co-founders at Sleeping Bag Records had become. Eventually, the company went bankrupt. This left EPMD along with their label mates nice and smooth in jeopardy. But then there was Russell Simmons and Lior Cohen at Def Jam. They promptly bought out their contract and got back to business. Between the second album and the deal with Def Jam, EPMD never stopped working. I already had the Business As Usual album done with the LL Cool J record on deck and the Gold Digger. Be cool, she couldn't be a golden. Not with a smile, not stupid, booming figure to one day. She spent the crazy dough. 10 G's on Levi's, Cohen Rambo. You know, the first album is a lifetime. You know, you got your parents watching, you got your school watching, you got your haters watching. Okay, so it's strictly business. 
you got your first album, you're introduced to the game, to the industry and the world. You're brand new. Now you drop unfinished business. Everything is business. When you get on the plane, that's business. When you go to the hotel, that's business. You turn on the light, that's business. The studio, everything is business and you're still learning. Now we run into a problem with sleeping bag. They go bankrupt, okay? So now we got to shift to Def Jam. We have a little delay. But then, once the delay is taken care of, paperwork signed, business as usual. With that, they released their third album, Business as Usual, the first EPMD project with Def Jam in December 1990. For the third time, number one on the R&B hip-hop charts, a great reception, and going gold. But with this album, we also get introduced to a hungry new voice, a New Jersey MC who would join EPMD's crew, the Hit Squad. His name is Redman. Redman ready to rock rough rhymes. Renegade rapper, rip when it's rhyme time. He pinpointed and calculated how to stay out of the way. So once we came in our dressing room, we'd be like, oh, yo, who are you? That's how we met him in our dressing room. Called Cessation in Jersey. And when we came in there, Redman was just chilling with the big afro, and he dropped four bars. The stars aligned for this meeting because EPMD was a last-minute addition to the show, and even after they met and agreed to stay in contact, it almost didn't happen. Eric Sermon took a while to reach out to Redman. Because he lost the number, and then had to keep going through his mind a million times until he got the right number to make the connect. If he couldn't remember it, it would have been a wrap. They also added K-Solo. Your mom's in my business. She's in my business. Can't you see, girl? Your mom is trying to end it. He was a neighborhood MC that they called uh, KV. And then when I got older, then I started working with him and then put him on. And they were about to discover another act that they would add to their roster, Das Effect. If you listened to last season, you heard a version of this story as told by Crazy Drazy. But here's the story of how they got discovered from the EPMD side. Eric and Parrish were gearing up to travel to promote their first album on Def Jam and... The day before, it's a big snowstorm. So they're thinking, no big deal. We'll just delay the promo run. That's when Def Jam calls. Like, yo, listen, you got a new album out. You got to go support it. You got to go promote or somebody's going to take your spot. And for the record, the airports are open. They plowed it, the source down, so get your ass to the airport. So that's what we did. They hit city after city and they were living large. They felt like they had the power to do anything. And it just was all this free-spirited energy. This was their vibe as they hit a town in Virginia to judge a battle full of local up-and-comers. The long list of MCs goes up, they do their thing, and EPMD keeps note of the crowd's reaction and hold up scorecards from 1 to 10. Right when the battle's almost over, DOS Effects steps out. And they just come in all smooth, laid back on a whole different old dreads and everything. So we like, okay, and they drop, clap their hands. And whoa, it was right in gear with us. If we left this place and had to drive four hours, this is what we would play a hundred times in the tape deck. They calculated that there would be problems if Das Effects won over the other, more local group. The other group scored less points than Das Effects. The only problem is we're in one of the hardest parts of rich Virginia, okay? And these dudes who went up there, the two before them, were superficial. But if we give it to them, nobody's leaving this place, and that's real. So I had to make a compromise. All right, yo, these two guys are going to win. We already just got the Def Jam. I already got to connect with Sylvia Rohn with Atlantic Records with K-Solo. So, yo, look, guys, we all want to get out here tonight. How would you like a record contract instead of winning? 
And they still didn't understand the concept, but they was in. And good thing they were. Das Effects became a part of the hit squad and released a platinum-selling album within a couple of years. And think about it. Look, if we didn't go, we would have never met Das. With all of this building and success, what could go wrong? They've done nothing but win even when their first label folded and they had to find a new home. If any group was untouchable, it was EPMD. Not only that, they had discovered other artists that proved to be great investments of time and energy. But as it so often happens, more money and fame comes with more problems and tension. Next, EPMD released their fourth studio album. They revel in the success of the hit squad, contribute to the soundtrack of a Hollywood classic. Then, Eric and Parrish break up under dramatic circumstances. Stay tuned. Peace is the one and only too real to be a phony, the real McCoy, Grand Poover. Did you know the guys over at Stupefly are doing it strictly out of love for 90s hip-hop culture? They make it sound easy, but lots of time and money is spent on creating, writing, mixing these episodes. If you like what you hear, please do me a favor. Go to stupid-fly.com and pick up some merch to show your support. Then follow on Instagram and Facebook at Stupidfly Media. Also, if you haven't done so already, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the subscribe button anywhere. Thank you for supporting our community of golden era gladiators. Peace. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's 1991 and EPMD is still on fire after releasing their third studio album, Business as Usual. And then it seems like everything exploded at once. And then, you know, I went to the business part, you know, and then Eric pursued the production. They had achieved unprecedented success in hip hop and were making history again with the Hit Squad. This was the first hip hop squad made of new successful individual acts under one marquee name. Not only that, the sample style that Parrish Smith adopted for the first three albums became a regular practice in hip hop. They didn't see nothing like that. Everybody was just used to dropping music and being an honest. And then once I did that, that was easy for me. So it wasn't a problem because the industry was developed in itself. In a sense, I was helping making it grow. There was no sample machines before me and Charlie. Then there were sampling machines. At the same time, major record labels were starting to take note and invest real dollars in hip-hop. This was partially due to the success of the Hit Squad and the emergence of other crews who saw a similar opportunity. I basically duplicated the Runs House tour. The only difference, I took artists that you didn't know. I just took regular artists that wanted to be in the game, put them under one umbrella, and we took the hip-hop culture in the world by storm. Oh, it's like that, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pop, pop, pop. 
And as they were taking over, they found themselves in new places. As they worked through their fourth album, Business Never Personal, the right place met the right time for EPMD to contribute to a historic moment in hip-hop culture. I spent time in the mountains, like a place called Gold Mountain and the Grand Canyon. That's where we would go record our music, just to pull ourselves out of town in time to get focused with no distractions. And uh, on our fourth album, ironically, we went to a place upstate called Gold Mountain, and the producers and the director for Juice was uh, staying in two cabins away from me and E. You got the juice now, man. So on the downtime, you know, at night, nobody was really coming out. There was no phones, no nothing like that. You was in bear country. And then people on the, uh, on their patio would see you, and then you just chop it up. Next thing you know, these was the guys who was shooting the movie Juice. And then from there on in, once we got back to New York City, that's how we got the little part. But me personally, I almost wasn't in it because my mind was focused on, you know, business never personal, gospel, Red Man K Solo, and bringing the hit squad in 1992. Even though he was preoccupied with EPMD, they contributed a banger to the Juice soundtrack with the song It's Going Down. Camera, but lots of action, no moonwalking backwards, kid like Michael Jackson. Strictly funk flows and still totes and boost the truth. Stage to stage, stage to stage as I clock loot. He was putting together an album, coordinating a squad of other artists, touring, and showing up on soundtracks. Not to mention, at this point, he was a father. Off the strength of EPMD and the hit squad, he was showing himself to be a true businessman and a force in hip-hop. Well, I got that word ethics from my parents. It's just that their work tactics bounced off on me, you know what I mean? And then I just went psycho with it. His eye was on the ball, and from the perspective of hip-hop fans everywhere, EPMD was killing it. They kept working, and before you know it, they had another album ready to go. But something had changed in the hip-hop landscape. Naughty by Nature comes out with... Get out with LPP. Yeah, you know Get out with LPP. Yeah, you know and then Def Jam told us. If you drop this song right here, EPMD, as you know, it is over as a group. So, you know, being young and feeling like, yo, oh, man, I thought we were done and we handed it in. Like, anytime you did Jane, J to the A to the N to the E, that was, yo, we're done. And when they told us, yeah, you can drop this if you want, you'd be over. Then, off of being annoyed and like, yo, we got to go back. And do another song, and that next song came back with was the crossover. In June of 1992, EPMD released their single, Crossover. This was EPMD's highest charting single and set up the release of their fourth album, Business Never Personal. And you guessed it, rave reviews, including four and a half mics in the source. They hit the charts, and for the fourth time, they were certified gold. Def Jam was happy, fans were happy, but between Parrish Smith and Eric Sermon, they were on shaky ground. Here's an interview with Eric Sermon about that time. It's always financial, B. Like, again, at the end of the day, you, you think... Somebody is doing you wrong, you know, whatever, and then you, you know, you're young because you figure that my money is not matching up with my success. And then it just turns for the bad, you know what I mean? You know, so at the end of the day, I felt like it was time for me to leave and 
I left. Eric Sermon left EPMD, fracturing the hit squad with Redman and K-Solo going with Eric Sermon and Das Effects going with PMD. This caused a huge rift between Eric and Parrish. This is when things got violent. This is all hip-hop lore, and nothing has been substantiated legally nor from the mouths of Eric and Parrish about who did what, but as the group was experiencing success and riding into business never personal, they were breaking up behind the scenes. One day, Parrish Smith's home was invaded by men with deadly weapons. Okay, so this already, the, 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 all the events happened in 1991. So you gotta be crystal clear. The events happened in 91. So if I stepped in the house 40 seconds earlier, you wouldn't have never seen me in a crossover video. You wouldn't have seen me in Headbang. I would have been dead. My oldest son wouldn't be 30 now. Okay? So time would have stopped 1991 for Paris Smith. You would have got the groups and the music. You just wouldn't have saw me. I didn't know that. Das Effects didn't know that. Or they, I wouldn't have never let them move to Long Island. If I would have known it was really like that. Because obviously, if there was something in play... It happened eight months before I even known and had to get called down to be brought to my attention. We were behind the eight ball and didn't even have a clue. But then, you know, you also got hip-hop watching. You got fans watching. Nobody wants to see this. A beloved hip-hop group breaking up and feuding this way? No one wanted to see that. No one wanted to believe that. Parrish Smith, PMD, released two solo albums, including 1994's Shade Business, which peaked at number 12 on the U.S. R&B and hip-hop charts, and Business is Business in 1996, which achieved number 29 on the same chart. This 10-year span saw a career change from football to hip-hop, four gold albums, EPMD's first label going bankrupt, and a contentious split between PMD and his partner in business. But it wasn't over. I'm so hyped about our next guest. Let me get loose. These guys are my favorite group in college, and then they broke up. After five years apart, they have chosen Vibe to make their broadcast return. Performing from their new CD back in business, it's E to the P to the M and the D, EPMD. This is our new single called The Joint. I make, I make a million bucks every six months. And y'all hating my name, saying my name. They call me the E wrong thing. What? No one don't fly without wings. Yeah. But some of y'all have to pull string. Just like that, EPMD was back. Well, it was a little, you know, a little discrepancy, though, but, I mean, things happen. You know, we grew up as men. We came out as young kids. You know, we were stars from the beginning. And um, me and P had to come back. We figured that, um, you know, rap lost a big part, and the happiness was an EPMD reunion. You know what I mean? Right up Thank you very much, man. Yeah. Eric and Parrish came together to release their 1997 reunion album, Back in Business. And a crazy thing happened. They brought the hit squad back together, and they went gold again. EPMD will release two more studio albums in 1999 and in 2008. In 2021, they featured together on Nas's monster album, King's Disease 2, on a song called EPMD 2 with Eminem. Looking back at all the things they had gone through, Parrish Smith sees it all through the lens of resilience. So to me, I feel like my hard work, even though I almost had to pay for it with my life, I never throw that in there. I never look at that part. There's nothing wrong with getting hit hard. There's nothing wrong with the knockout blow. There's nothing wrong with laying on that canvas, man. If you need to take that standing eight, take the whole eight. Don't get up in the six. I'm in the line with the people who love to take the hit and get up. I'm happy that hip-hop, the culture, survived. And in hip-hop culture, 
his legacy is secure. The first squads of all squads to hip hop. And then also putting a blueprint of music for when I was done, other artists was able to come in and do much bigger things than me and represent hip hop on a b-boy and a b-girl level and the ultimate business level. Fresh Era is a Stupid Fly production. Written and edited by me, Craig Smith. And overseen by the legendary DJ Cheap Shot. Chris Barnett makes sure we're making dollars. Sean Berman is our mix engineer. Music by The Math Club. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you in the next episode of Fresh Era. Fresh Era.